Song of Solomon chapter 5 is where we want to be. Hey, while you're turning there, in case you weren't here this morning, uh, I want to let you know we're going to be having a special meeting for anybody who is a parent of a child at Crossroads Christian School, or you're thinking about putting your child in Crossroads Christian School, or you just love Crossroads Christian School. And the April 24th meeting is uh, uh, to go over some issues that we need to present to you, because we need to have you know all the facts. We're huge on transparency here. And uh, the one thing I want to assure you of is the school is definitely going to be open next year. Uh, but there's some challenges we're facing, and we want to talk about what they are. We want to share it with you. We want you to know everything that's out there. And to me, it's one of the more important times, if you love the school, to be a part of. So that will be on uh, April the 24th in here at 7.30 p.m. Uh, I'll be here. Mike Long will be here. Roger Harris, of course, will be here. Uh, we want to be able just to, to lay it out before you. One reason it takes so long to get to the 24th and do this is we want to make sure and put everything in writing and put it in your hands. Uh, the other is we want to ask you to do this. Would you pray? Uh, that God uh, uh, would really move in this time and prepare us so, so we could take some action steps that would cause the school to flourish more than ever. And so that's April the 24th. That's coming. Let's pray together for tonight. Lord, we know that uh, it's not a question of if we're going to have a conflict in relationships with people. Uh, it's just very often when and how is it going to be handled. And God, conflict can be a healthy a interactive building time, a time that you could use to mold us. And, and we pray that we all would want to handle it that way in a way that would just make sense and be what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Solomon, the wisest man beyond Jesus who ever lived, has gotten married to this beautiful girl who is the Shulamite. And they're about to have conflict. Uh, everybody's going to have conflict in their life. It's just going to happen at some time. Now, hopefully it won't uh, get, get bigger and bigger and grow to an extreme. But, but I've even seen that happen amongst some pretty godly people. Uh, one of my really, really good friends that I think is an amazingly Christ-like guy uh, uh, was just uh, having one of those moments. And so what happened is his wife had said to him she wanted to have a family barbecue and she said, well, you got to go get a new barbecue because ours is rusted out. And he said, oh, I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it. And, and so finally, she kept saying, you need to get it. The date's coming, the date's coming. And, and then it was literally the Friday before Saturday. Her whole family's going to be over. He hasn't gotten the barbecue yet. He finally runs down to Home Depot and, and, and finds out that none of the ones he, he wants and can afford are, are already pre-assembled. So he's got to bring this thing home and put it together. And while he's trying to put it together, she comes out and looks at it and goes, that's what you bought? Do you know how many people are going to be here? You can't cook for that many people on that. And he's like, It'll, it's, it's going to be bigger when I'm done. <laughs> and, uh, and he starts working on it and cutting his hand. And, and this screw seems to be missing and that. And he finally gets it together. And his kids are running out to talk with him and to show him stuff. And, and he is frazzled. And then she comes walking out and says, no, you're going to ruin it. No, no, this is how come you waited so so." And before he knew it, he goes, if you don't like the barbecue, then here. And he grabs it and throws it as hard as he can. And it sails across the yard, hits the wall, and explodes. And, and she looked at him and said, uh, I'm sorry, I guess, and runs off. <laughs> and, and people have moments like that. And you know what? We never want to let it escalate to that point. Uh, another really good friend of mine is one of the most wise men I've ever met, but he's always had this just kind of persona of wisdom about him. He's just a godly guy and incredibly calm and, and able to handle things. And uh, he married this very outgoing, vivacious woman. And uh, what happened is they got married and, and they, they had this conflict happen and it started to arise and started to arise. And then he just goes in and sits at the table and he's getting ready to eat breakfast and she comes storming in and she just unloads on him. And she's just yelling and screaming and he's just eating his breakfast and looking at her and, and she's going and going and going and going and he just lets her keep going. Finally, she calms a, a little and steps back and he looks at her and goes, well, that was extremely immature. <laughs> Okay, and she thought, I can never do that again. I can never win this way. The question is, how do you handle it? You're going to have those moments. How are you going to handle it? 
Solomon's about to have a moment like that. And I want you to notice how he handles it right off the bat. It's, it's, we're not sure how long later. But she begins to speak in chapter 5, verse 2, 2 to 4, and says this. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking at the door. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. I have taken off my dress, she said. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? She goes, my beloved extended his hand through the opening and my feelings were then aroused for him. Now, now, I want you to catch what happened. We're not sure how long this is after the honeymoon, but this is a whole different story. She's showing indifference to him when she had anything but that before. I mean, before this, remember what happened in chapter uh, 2. She was literally standing there, and she was saying, where is my beloved? Where is he? Oh, I see him way out on the hill. I see him approaching closer. I see him down by the lattice. Oh, I hear his. She couldn't wait for him to get home. Now he comes to see her, and she's asleep. She's in bed. And he says to her in a very poetic way, open to me, my sister, my dove. If you were here last week... You know what he's saying. He's saying, we, let's be intimate together. And he calls out to her. And then she says this. She goes, I've taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? In the Hebrew, it sounds a little bit different. In the Hebrew, it's translated, I have a headache. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy tonight whether you do or not. Uh, she, in this moment, has said No. Now, I want you to think about what's going on here. There, there's, there's maybe a reason. She's tired. She's worn out. She, she came later than she wanted to. Uh, but for some reason, she's not this, this bride that's waiting and excited and can't wait to be with him. And there are lots of reasons why a wife may, may hit a place where she just isn't re ready to be sexually intimate with her husband. Uh, we know that when uh, a wife is stressed out, uh, she tends to not want to have sex. Now, that's a general statement. It may not be true of everyone. But, but generally, uh, psychologists tell us that it's, that's one of the differences between men and women. Uh, that a, a woman, when she's stressed, she's like, no, I can't think about it. Therefore, I don't want to. Now, it's interesting. Generally speaking, men, when they're stressed out, they want sex more than ever. They're like, that's what I want to do. They, it's actually some, a form of comfort. By the way, Isaac was grieving and hurting and in amazing pain when he lost his mother. And uh, it says that Rebecca came and saw him and she, she was going to be or was given to be his wife. And so she was pledged to him and given to him. And it says she saw him and he was grieving over this fact. And she took him into a tent and there they consummated their marriage. And in Genesis 24, 67, it says, And Isaac then was comforted. Now, now, it's this maybe difference between male and female. Now, again, that's a general statement. Specifically, it might always apply. But very often, that can be a quenching moment for a woman when she's stressed. Uh, maybe because she's feeling overwhelmed because of the kids. Uh, overwhelmed because of the house. Overwhelmed because of debt. Overwhelmed because of other relationships exploding. My mom's calling me on the phone four times a day. I mean, how can I wrap my, my head around the idea of just focusing on anything else? I mean, I feel like debt's mounting up on us. I don't know where we're going to be living. My job is just literally driving me crazy. And, and then a young mom, man, she's just sitting there at night thinking, I am so tired, I can't stand it. It's the last thing I want. And uh, you know what? That can happen. By the way, there may be physical reasons uh, that can cause a woman not to want to. I remember one time I, I was standing there and a young bride walked up and said, can I talk to you and Pam? And I said, okay. So we got away alone and she said, I don't know what's wrong. You know, I, I, I love my husband and uh, I just thought it would be different and, 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 and I'm not sure what's wrong with me. And, and I, I'm not a doctor, obviously. I've just been around long enough. And I said, are you on the pill? And she said, well, I, yeah, I am. And I said, well, you know, that's not always, but in many cases, the side effect of the pill. It just takes away all desire. Uh, I said, you know, you go to your doctor and check. Well, she went in, and that's what it was. I mean, it was just that it literally, there's a chemical reaction, or maybe a side effect that happened. But there's lots of reasons this occurs, but, but here's where I want to go with this. 
there's probably nothing more detrimental to your self-image. And I want to have you think this through with me. There's probably nothing more detrimental to your self-image than if you're a woman and your husband does not desire you. Or if you're a man and your wife does not desire you. It really is huge. A man who believes his wife desires him and wants to be with him, I mean, that feeds into him in a way that that just causes him to grow. And by the way, that's a God-given gift. And a woman that feels cherished and loved in the proper way. Uh, uh, and, and the husband's in tune to her. I, I mean, that feeds into her self-image in a huge way. And that's a gift from God too. So for a man to come and stand and call out to his wife and her attitude is, I don't want to get out of bed. I, I, you know, why would I want to walk across the floor to open the door for you? I mean, that can be extremely hard to take. And yet, I want you to notice Solomon's reaction, verse 4. She, he says, she says, my beloved extended his hand through the opening and my feelings were aroused for him. I arose to my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh and my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and had gone. My heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him, but I did not find him. I called, but he did not answer me. Now I want you to notice what happens. She reaches out and she grabs the bolt, the doorknob, and what does she feel right away? She feels a uh, 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 the, the pouch that we talked about that had been doused in the fragrance that he would wear. If you were here before, you know that pouch was a, a sign of love. And so what is the first thing that happens when she says to him, no, I, I just don't want to be with you tonight. And, and he reaches his hand through the door handle and she hears it shaking and she's thinking, oh, oh, I am going to get up for him. But when she gets there, what does she greeted with? She's greeted with a love note. She's greeted with a gift that says, I cherish you. Not, not, how could you? Not, who do you think you are? Not, well, then forget you. I'll, I'm, that's it if you don't want to be with me. I, I don't want to be. That's, in this moment, when she's done something, the way the play sets, that would hurt him, that would wound him, he responds by saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And maybe the most intimate precious way that could be imagined with no conditions upon it. He's left this, this hanging there that says, I love you more than you know. Now think about who he is. He's the king. He could have just thrown the door open. He could have kicked it in. He could have stepped in the room and said, who do you think you are? I found you in the vineyard and you dare deny me? He could have stood over her and said, you know what? I, there are lots of other women and now you're banished from here. By the way, don't forget that, you know, King Azarias, in the book of Esther, his wife denied him doing a dance and appearing in a particular way, and he just banished her from the kingdom. So being the king, he could have done anything from take her life, to banish her, to attack her, to have her thrown out. And what does he do? He says, I love you. I I love you, period. I couldn't love you more than I do. Your wanting to be with me has nothing to do with the fact that I'm going to love you with everything I have. That's, that's what he's saying. And now she's thinking, oh my gosh, I missed him. And she calls out to him and wants to search for him. And, and notice what it says in verse 7. It says, the watchmen who make the rounds of the city found me and they struck me and they wounded me. The guardsmen on the wall took away my shawl from me. Now, now, why is this? What happened is she threw on her shawl and she ran to find him. But, but what do you think is going to happen if you're a guard and you see someone running cloaked in the castle? I mean, what's your first thought? Right away, you know, they, they grab her and they hit her and strike her thinking she's someone who may be there to assassinate or do something else. And, and you know what happens in this moment? It seems like uh, uh, whenever your love life goes wrong, everything goes wrong. Now, you know, it's like, you know, in that moment, it's, it just seems like, you know, if you have a problem with your wife and you get home and it seems like you're going to have a problem at work, you're going to have a problem with friends, a pro- it just seems to multiply. But Solomon has already taken control. Solomon has shown love. Solomon has shown self-control. He's practicing what he preaches. In Proverbs 10, 12, Solomon said, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. In Proverbs 10, 19, he says, when there are many words, 
Transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. He said, you know, I'm just going to not really talk to her right now to see what's wrong. I'm just going to leave this love note because too many words could cause a problem to happen. As a matter of fact, the God's Word translation translates it this way. Sin is unavoidable when there is much talk, but whoever seals his lips is wise. In other words, he's decided I'm going to make sure and stay calm. I'm not going to speak too quickly. And then in Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And so what happens is in this moment is Solomon is uh, gone away in a very loving way and now everything that's happened to her has just begun to fall apart and everything's going in the wrong direction. And for every husband here, God warns us about that. He says in 1 Peter 3, 7, he says, I want you husbands in the same way to live with your wives in understanding as with someone who is weaker. Now, by the way, it doesn't, let me say this, it doesn't say that the wife is weaker. Nowhere in the, what he says is, I want you to treat her gently. I want you to treat her with care. And he goes, since she is a woman and she has honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. God, God says, I want you to know that when you, when you don't love your spouse in the way you're supposed to, your prayers are hindered. I want you to know when you're not loving someone in the way you're supposed to, the prayers are hindered. See, Solomon reacts by being very gentle and caring and kind, and he withdraws from the situation. She now is running and hunting for him. The guards have struck her, and everything is going wrong. And, and, and that's what happens when you have a broken relationship. So if you're married, you're going to find yourself not able to pray as well. When Pam and I were first married, to be honest, our marriage was just a disaster. I mean, we, I think we had like three good months, and then it just went the opposite. It was just horrible. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you ask Pam, she'll tell you very honestly, the only reason she stayed married to me is because she made a vow to God. And I want to say this, the only reason I stayed married to her is I made a vow to God. And, and the honest truth is we didn't like each other. We didn't want to spend time together. We got into conflict after conflict. They were very seldom handled maturely. And so I'll never forget there was this time and I had come home from a college class and I was going to be teaching a Bible study in about two hours and we got into it. And I'm thinking, man, you know, why can't she get how right I am? <laughs> and I just let her have it. And, and then she's crying and I thought, well, great, I got to get ready for Bible study. So I go in the bedroom and open up my Bible and now I'm going to pray and talk to God. And I, it's just, you could tell your prayers aren't going anywhere. Now, i got to be honest, it's not that God wasn't dealing with me. I really sensed the Holy Spirit in a very clear way, saying, go apologize to her. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, no, just, I pray that you convict her. I pray you change her. I, you know, and, and, and I felt the Holy Spirit literally saying, just go and apologize. And, and, and my prayers were hindered in that moment. I just couldn't seem to get them out. And so finally, I get up, and I open the door, and I walk in, and I say, Pam, and she looks up all crying, and I said, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry I hurt you. And she looks and goes, that's okay. And then turns her head down. That's okay. Wait, I'm more right than you are. You should say, you know, and I wasn't going to get it. And I know that the Lord began to deal with me just more and more and more, and with her too, to say, if you want a great relationship with me, you better go love her like you're supposed to. Regardless of how she acts, and the Lord put it on Pam's heart to love me how she was supposed to. Regardless, here's what I don't want you to miss. God values relationships so much that he wants you to do everything you can to make them incredible. Now, we sometimes miss that. We sometimes act like it's okay that I have these broken relationships in my life, and God and I are still going to be fine. Where in the end of the book of Romans, it says, as far as it is within your power, be at peace with all men. Now, now I want you to remind you again, in a marriage situation, the Lord says, you're not going to be okay with me. You're not going to have a dynamic prayer life if you're at odds with this person that you said you were going to love with all your heart. Now, that doesn't mean they're always going to respond correctly. But God says, if you want an amazing relationship with me, then you need to love them in a very caring way. But beyond marriage, you already know what God says. Uh, the whole idea of the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins or trespasses or debts, whatever version you want to go with, as we what? Forgive those who trespass against us. 
We're supposed to, to pray that way. Lord, I want my relationship with you to be exactly how I treat others. I want the forgiveness you give to me to be the exact way that I forgive other people. By the way, then that means, do we want to have a conditional forgiveness of others and then have God have a conditional forgiveness of us? Does any of us really want that? But, but how about this? At the very end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, I want you to remember something. That if you will not forgive, then God will not forgive you. You know, I, I always am intrigued by that because that's one of those verses that we don't have to interpret very hard, do we? I do have, and there's some verses in the Bible, you go, well, what does that mean? I mean, dripping myrrh on a door handle? I don't understand that one, although tonight you do. But, but how about this one? Don't we all understand if you will not forgive others, neither will your Father in heaven forgive? Isn't that pretty, I mean, by the way, I have a people all the time go, well, that can't mean what it says. But it does. See, God values relationships that much. He really does. He, he values them that much, so much so that he says, when, when you are in a situation where someone's hurt you, what does the Lord say in Ephesians 4.32? He goes, be kind to that person. It actually says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiven one, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is huge to God. It's huge to the effect of life. It's huge to us doing things correctly. So that's why more than ever we need to act like Solomon did. When someone hurts you, what do you do? You step back and you return a gentle answer to them. Uh, you, you seek for a love that covers the multitude of sins. You try not to use too many words because with too many words, transgression is unavoidable in heated situations. And he says, just don't do it. And then maybe the height of heights when we look at the whole issue when it comes to this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said that if you're coming to God to offer your offering at the altar, he says first, and you there remember that your brother has something against you. He says, leave your gift, go to your brother, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer the offering. If you're going to worship God and you're standing there getting ready and you go, whoa, Lord, I'm about to try to worship you, but I know there's somebody out there who's just so incredibly angry at me. And God says, well, you know what? Go, go and reconcile. Now, you, you don't forget that to God, it's huge that we are in community together. But he says more important than being in community is if you realize somebody out there and is at odds with you, go and try to fix it. Lord, I was going to come and give my tithe. He goes, no, keep your tithe. You go and try to fix it. Lord, I was going to come in, I'm just going to worship. And he goes, if you can, if that person's available, you go and try to fix it. Why? Because it, it literally affects our relationship with him. It affects our relationship in being effective in life. Uh, uh, John, later on, would grab hold of what Jesus said, and, and he, would later, he would say it in a different way. He would say, how can you say you love God whom you have not seen if you cannot love your brother who you have seen. And, and you go, whoa. The Lord says, you know what? We gotta love. We gotta forgive. We gotta seek reconciliation. We gotta do everything we can because when we're walking around with broken relationships, the Lord says, this isn't okay. And, and what we don't wanna do is, is demonize the other person and show contempt for the other person and name them as evil. And, and I know that there are some cases where people have been wounded so badly, you just want to do that. But in the end, by hanging on to it and, and holding on to it, the hurt, the pain, the grudge, the bitterness, what does it do? It keeps you captive to that past situation and to them. And God says, let it go. And as far as you can show love, as far as you can be at peace, seek to do it, the Lord says. That's what I want you to do. And if not, man, life just doesn't go right. You'll be like the girl who runs to be with him and the guards smack you and you're like, how did this happen? How did I get in this situation? I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I'm in pain and I can't find him. And then the question might be, is he even lost to me? 
And then in verse 8, she's hurt, she's wounded and bruised, and she calls to her friends for help. And she says to them in verse 8, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, as to what you will tell him, for I am lovesick. And then the friends answer in an amazingly wise way. They say, what kind of beloved is your beloved, O most beautiful among women? What kind of a beloved is your beloved, that thus you adjure us? Now, it's interesting. They're saying, well, wait a minute. You know, you're all upset and you don't know where he is and, and, and you don't know where he's gone and you've heard him and, and he's out there somewhere in the night. She goes, well, before you, we had tell you where he is, let's answer this question. Who is he to you? How do you see him? How do you view him? And uh, she awakens herself in a positive way. In verse 10, she says, my beloved is dazzling and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is like gold, pure gold. His locks are like clusters of dates and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside the streams of water bathed in milk and reposed in their setting. His cheeks are like the bed of balsam, banks of sweet-scented herbs. His lips are like lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His hands are like rods of gold. In other words, I, they're so precious to touch. Whenever his hands are like gold to me, and meaning in a positive way, they're cherished, set with burl. I, I like this one. His abdomen is like carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. She's saying he has a six-pack. <laughs> you know, she says, man, if he lifts up his, man, it's like, oh, look at the sapphire. Well, you know, anyway. <laughs> Pam will never know that one. Uh, his legs are like pillars of alabaster set on pedestals of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choicest cedar. Now notice verse 16. His mouth is full of sweetness. He is wholly desirable. Now she said everything about him is wonderful, but did you notice when she went, she went, whoa. She starts with all these physical characteristics that aren't wrong, and she begins to trace through how incredibly handsome and incredible he is. And she says, but you know what? I just heard him. But you know what I can trust in? His mouth is full of sweetness. I can trust that when I see him, he's going to talk to me with kindness. I can trust he's not going to let me have it. I can trust he's going to follow his own teaching and he's going to give me a gentle answer. I can trust he's forgiving. If I were to stand and look at him and say, forgive me, he'll forgive me. Because everything that flows from his mouth is kind. Now, he's truthful, but he's kind. And then she says these words, this is my beloved, this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. They say, what's he like? And she says, he's gorgeous, but more than that, this man is incredibly, incredibly kind and sweet. He would never berate me. He's not going to yell at me. He's not going to attack me. His hands are like gold. I can cherish his touch. He won't beat me. Um, years ago, before I met Pam, uh, there was a particular girl that I had as a girlfriend, and man, I was just like all caught up with her. And I remember we went to, to watch a football team play football that we would be playing in a couple of weeks on an off night, and, and we were all a big group of us having a blast. And, and then what happened is, is I went to go up the bleachers, and I slipped, and I went like this, and all of a sudden she cringed and went down, and, and I jumped back. And it was the night I found out that her father even when she was in junior high and high school, would just unload and hit her and hit her and hit her. And, and all of a sudden, she saw this hand, and before she knew it, she was reacting. Uh, someone who's been abused, some of you who might have had that happen, you know what that's like. A, a particular word comes out. I'm not going to say it harshly, but the word stupid. It, it just, or, or other words come, and you're like, they just kill you inside. And uh, when someone in your life is that way, it just causes you to have this, this sensitivity to that that causes you to almost cringe every moment it happens and your stomach to twist and turn. But you know what she says? She says, that's not how he would ever treat me. No matter how much I've hurt him, he's my friend. No matter how painful this time is between us, his mouth is going to be filled with sweetness. Then the girls ask this question in chapter 6, verse 1. Well, then where is your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? Now, now that might, if you haven't been catching the play, and I hope I've been doing it well, she's, she can't, 
figure out where he is. She throws on a shawl and runs in the darkened hallways of the castle, getting pummeled and hit, and she's laying on the ground, and then she crawls to where the girls are, probably opening the door and saying, help me, help me, I can't find him. And they said, what's he like? Doesn't seem like the right question, but she sits and thinks he's, he's this way. Then they said, well, where do you think he is? Do you think he's playing games with you? Do you think he just took off and said, well, then I'll show her and I'm going to the other castle on the other side of the country and she won't see me for six months. I'll make her grovel and beg and wish she had never done that again. How about this? And we won't get into this super in depth. He had 60 other wives. <laughs> That's called unwise. But anyway, uh, well, but he didn't go to any of them. I mean, that, he might, if he was just wanting sex, he could have said, forget you, and gone and chose one of the others. And they said, where do you think he is? And in verse 2, she says, my beloved has gone down to his garden, to the bed of balsam, to the pasture of flocks in the garden, and to gather the lilies. She goes, I know where he's at. When I heard him, I know when I see him, he'll be kind. And when I heard him, I know what he's gone to do. He's gone to a place of peace. To sit in the garden, not to play games with me, not to twist the dagger in, not to cast me aside, not to build a case against me. I know where he is. I know where he is. Now, now, when Pam and I first uh, uh, got married, though, one of the things we did that we were advised to do in premarital counseling was this. There was um, an advice that says, if you ever get so intense with one another that you just need to leave to calm down... Do this. Why don't you tell each other ahead of time where you're going to go? So, so you're not going to go out play games and drive the car fast, or you're not going to just take off and stay out late to make them worry. No playing games. But if you do need to get away, because sometimes we need that, what are you going to do? And so Pam and I got away from there, and I, I looked at her, and I said, well, you know what? I already know what I'm going to do, Pam. If I ever get that upset, I'm going to drive down to the beach, and I'll just hang out and pray down there, and then I'll be back. Pam goes, oh, that's cool. I said, well, where would you go? She goes, well, I'm going to go to your mom and dad. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm never letting you get that back. <laughs> I'm married to a very wise woman. Did you notice what she said he's going to do, though, in verse 2, to pasture his flock? He's in the garden to pasture his flock, and what she's saying is he is a shepherd. He is gentle. She's not saying those words, I was so wrong about him. She's not saying... I can't, who did I marry? She says, he's still the man I married. Now then she says in verse three, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. And he pastures his flock among the lilies. She says, you know what? We have a mutual commitment together. And no matter how bad things are right now, I can trust in this commitment. And so what happens is these three keys to handling conflict come out. Number one, don't play games. Don't play games with the other. Don't take off and try to torture or punish the other person. Don't say, you know what, if you don't want to be with me, then I'm not going to touch you again till you finally show a reaction to me. Or don't play the silent game. I'm not saying a word. I'm just going to sit here and just wait till you finally, just don't do that. The second thing is keep perspective. Keep reminding yourself that they are the person you married and you know their character and you know them very of that. Refuse to give in to the lower nature of ourselves that demonizes the other person. By the way, even outside of marriage, I've watched people who have been great, great friends and conflict arises and I'll sit with one of them and say, well, come on, you know them better than that. And then they'll use these, no, I thought I did. And whenever you start talking like that, that's, that's not the Holy Spirit. Oh, I thought I knew them better, but oh man, they're, they're a liar. They've always been a liar. <laughs> really? Oh, I, I, they, you, you know, whenever we go there, just that's not a good thing. Keep perspective. The third thing is have a commitment and adversity. A commitment, to, if you're married, to the person to say, we'll get through this. You know, and a day's going to come, we'll look back, and maybe we won't laugh, but we could share it with someone else, like a pastor who could use it as a great sermon illustration. <laughs> Or, uh, you know, just it's going to be a history to tell our kids. You don't, you don't just run out. You don't evacuate. Uh, Winston Churchill, of all people, said this. I, I thought this was interesting. He says, two pro- processes should not be started prematurely, embalming and divorce. And uh, you know what is, is the Lord says, just have this commitment. And, and she does. And so what she does is she goes to him. And, and I want to make sure you don't miss what happens. 
she goes to him and she stands before him. And in verse 4, he begins to speak. And he says, you are as beautiful as Tisra, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as awesome as an army with banners. Now, believe it or not, those are compliments. Now, now they've just had this conflict. She walks up to see him, and he looks at her, and the first word out of his mouth is, you're as beautiful as Tisra. Tisra was the city of the four kings. It was called the sought-after city, the most beautiful, dazzling city of all. So she has just heard him. She has just cast him aside. She has just attacked his self-image, and he walks to her, and he goes, oh, I've never seen anything more beautiful and desirable in all my life than you. And then he says to her, he says the next line, you're as lovely as Jerusalem. Jerusalem was considered the perfect city. So he's saying you're dazzling, you're sought after, you're perfect. And then he says you're like an army with banners. I love that line. Pam doesn't like it, but I even tell her that sometimes. She was coming down the stairs the other day, and I looked at her and said, oh, you're like an army with banners. And she's going, I hate that compliment, but I love it. And, and maybe nobody else will get into this, but I remember that three occasions I've got to be at the Coliseum when USC played football. And there, if any of you have got to be there, at one time I got to be down on the field. And I'm standing on the field, and the band begins to play. The song leaders begin to dance. The crowd begins to go crazy. And out come the Trojan football team. And the whole place, ah! Oh, and you're just, everything inside you goes crazy. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, man, when, when I see you, oh, man, everything inside me lights up and gets excited and, and is an incredible moment. And, and Pam doesn't get it, but when I look at her at the top of the stairs, it's like, oh, I'm married to you. There is a God. And, uh, you know, uh, in that moment. And, and, and that's what Solomon said. And then he starts in verse 5. I, you'll probably catch this, but look at it. He says, turn your eyes away from me, for they have confused me. Your hair is like a flock of goats that is descended from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them has lost her young. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. Do you know what he's saying? Do you remember this? I don't know if you caught it. These are the very same compliments he gave her before on their wedding night. Every compliment except a sexual one. He told her, you're beautiful, you're incredible, you're awesome. Do you know what he's saying to her? She has just hurt his feelings, and he looks at her and says, you could not be more sought after than you are, and you're still the girl I married. I want to tell you before we say another word, you're still the girl I married. You're still the one I desired. You're still the one I want to be. Did you catch, remember what he had taught us? Solomon said, a gentle answer turns away wrath. He doesn't look at her and go, well, how could you? He doesn't look at her and say, who do you think you are? He doesn't look at her and say, you know what? I don't want to be with you right now. Instead, he says, oh, to be in your presence, to be near you, and to know you're still the girl I married is huge. You see, too often, that's not what we say. Too often, things fly the other way. You know, a girl stands in a presence and a guy's in this mad moment and he looks at her and says, you're just like your mother. <laughs> By the way, her mother could be awesome, but that's still a threat, isn't it? But you know, instead he says, you are the girl I married and I couldn't love you more than I do. But he admits the sexual compliment. Why? Because he's saying, I love you regardless of what happens. I love you regardless of what I've desired. I love you no matter what. And then in verses 8 and 9, he says, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and maidens without number. Now, what he is saying, he goes, I've already married 60 other women I could have gone to. I have 80 concubines who are waiting for me. And there are all these other maidens that would love to be one or the other. But he says this in verse 9, but my dove, my perfect one is unique. She is my mother, her mother's only daughter. She is the pure child, the one who bore her. The maidens saw her and called her blessed. The queens and the concubines also, and they praised her, saying, Who is this that grows like the dawn, as beautiful as the full moon, as pure as the sun, as awesome as an army with banners? And I went down to the orchard nuts to see the blossoms of the valley, to see whether the vine had budded or the omegranates had bloomed. Before I was aware, my soul set me over the chariots of my noble people. And, and what they're saying is all the girls say, even you are the unique one. You are the one he loves. You are the one who has risen above all others. And, and Solomon says, everybody knows that about you, and I know it about you. 
By the way, we don't know for sure this, but let me tell you what we think as we study this. Uh, First of all, Solomon was in sin when he married so many women. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says a wise king, a godly king, is not to multiply wives or horses. And Solomon did both. Later on, it would be his downfall. But it seems that we marry queen number 61. This was the girl that God wanted for him. So much so that God inspired a love story to be written about her. And it appears that Solomon says now that every queen that I have knows that you are the one for me. And, and there's no one I could love like you. There's no one I want to be with like you. But we know that he goes on to marry a, an incredible number of other women, another 140 or 240. Now, now here's what we think. Just we think this could be true, and a lot of people do. We think that somewhere along the line she died. And in his heartbreak, in the void, he tried to fill it with lots of other things that wouldn't make him happy. Uh, It just, based on this passage and a few others, it appears this happened. And Solomon's fall was incredible. He, He just was devastated in it. But in this case and in this moment, he is so in love with her, he says, there's no one like you. And everybody sees how incredible you are and everybody sees how awesome you are. So here's the point. When we get into a situation of conflict, if we're as wise as Solomon, we stay kind. We stay calm. We may need to stay quiet and be very careful that only words we say are for edification and for building up, never for attacking and tearing down. When we're in a conflict with someone, our goal is to win them, not the war, not the argument, not the moment. It's to cause the relationship to be better with truth and kindness. And what we do is we don't play games with them. Trying to say things to hurt, throw the body blow, attack, or take off and throw the tantrum. We keep perspective and we remind ourselves what their true character is. And we make a commitment that somehow, someway we'll work this out. That's not just in marriage, it's in all relationships. It's what God calls us to. He calls us to love, to care, to be tenderhearted, to be forgiving, to seek peace whenever we can. And then it says that the friends now intercede in this play and they yell, come back, come back, O Shulamite, come back, come back, that we may gaze upon you. And Solomon cries out, why should you gaze at the Shulamite as at the dance of the two companies? That's a a passage you may not understand, but let me tell you what it's referring to as we get ready to stop. It's referring in Genesis 32-2 to where Jacob is when he meets the angels of God and he calls it the very place of God's dwelling. Jacob was running from his brother, not knowing what was awaiting him. He fell asleep and had a dream of the angels ascending and descending. And in the very place where that happened, it's called the camp of Maniam. And, and, and Solomon says, do you know what you are to me? You're, you're heavenly. You're a place where God has visited. You remind me as we're together in the right way of the Holy Spirit interceding and binding together in an incredible way. I I don't know if this will be meaningful to you, but there's a Chinese proverb about two brothers that lived on farms next to each other. And what happened is, is the brothers got into an argument over a particular piece of water that was flowing through the property. And, and it would, if it was allowed to flow correctly, they could both share in it. But there was a feeling that maybe one was taking more than the other and it was going to bankrupt the other brother. And so they got into this incredible conflict so they wouldn't even speak to each other. They got so mad and so upset, and, and, and they're literally in the midst of attacking. And now their families aren't allowed to speak. They're not going to ever see each other. And this seems to go on and on and on, till one of the brothers one night decides, you know, I can't stand it. I can't stand that this happened. And so he goes over, and he actually begins to, in the night when no one knows, he begins to take water and go out and start watering his other brother's land so that his crops will flourish. And hopefully now that the flourishing happens, they'll be able to mend their relationship. But what he doesn't know is the other brother had the exact same idea and went to another place. And so while the one brother's up here getting water to water the land, the other brother's down here watering the land, and they're both watering everything grow. And they're saying, God must be blessing me. The more I try to bless my brother, the more it comes back to me. So the other brother decides, you know what? If this is what God's doing, then I need to redouble my efforts. And he gets his sons, and they go out, and they're getting water and really flourishing the land of the brother, not knowing the other brother thought, hey, if God's going to bless me, like, let's go get the rest of the family. And they're over here. And, and, and they're both going in opposite directions, never seeing each other, working long hours of the night. Until one night, what happened is, is they both decided to go to the middle. And as they all go to the middle with their water buckets and see each other, 
they realize what's happened. And according to the, the, the story, the legend, it says as they stood there looking at each other, the love of God ascended, and they felt God more than they ever had before in their lives. He began to wrap them together. Solomon, I think Shulamite, felt that that night. He said, standing here with you, knowing we're going to solve this, I feel that I'm in the very presence of the holy angels of God ascending and descending. There's something precious about that. Uh, uh, standing here with you in the midst of saying, we're going to be fine. We're going to love each other no matter what. We can taste the love of God in a way that we never have before. Uh, I personally have experienced that with Pam, and I think she would say with me. When we've had these times of conflict, and the older we've gotten, our conflicts don't ever heat up anymore. They just, we have to look at each other and say, okay, let's just solve it now. But we've had those moments, and we sit together and look at each other and say, we love each other no matter what. We sense the presence of God in an amazing way. May we cry some, we talk some, we share some. We pour out, I'm so sorry that ever I would do anything like that to hurt you. And it comes back the other way. And we say, wow, God's here. Not too long ago, um, I have in my life, as far as I know, uh, uh, two people that uh, I just have had a, a break with that I can't seem to put back together. And I'm always asking the Lord, show me who they are. Or, or not show me who they are, show me when to go to them. And, uh, you know, I, I think about a year and a half ago, I, I shared that here in, at Crossroads on a Sunday morning. I got up and said, you know, it's so vitally important we honor what Jesus said. And when we go, we go to seek forgiveness. And, and I've watched God re mend relationships that way. And, and there's two, two that I'm feeling that way with right now. And, and every, at least once a year, if not twice a year, I actually make an, a plea. I, 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 I try to put myself on their path or make in a contact to say, hey, I know I hurt you. Uh, I know it's deep. Can we mend this? And um, it was so cool because uh, about three months ago, I'm getting ready to make one of those contacts. And uh, I turn on my computer and hit the button, and up comes an email, and it says, I want you to know I was thinking of you. And uh, I looked at it, and it's this man I do love, and he and I have been in conflict. And he begins to share, I really want peace. Not just say that it's okay, I want it to be okay. He said, you don't know it, but I tell my son stories about you all the time. And I love you. And I, I sat there in awe. God, I was about to reach out and, and this came to me first. And I just, I couldn't wait to get a hold of Pam and tell her. I couldn't, Mike Long knows about it. I rushed in and told him. And, uh, but, but before I, I did either, man, did I sense the Lord. God loves love. God loves quality relationships. God loves healing. And if we're gonna be who God wants us to be, we need to conflict in healthy, mature ways. But when we don't, or when it doesn't go well, we need to seek peace. And, and that's what it's all about. And God showed us that when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us to seek peace. God looked and said, we're not okay. So how can I reach out to you and love you? And he sent his son to live upon this earth a sinless life, and to love us and care for us and to go to the cross and hang there and cry out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we're told that if we would embrace that love and embrace that forgiveness, that we would be healed. That we would be forgiven. That we would be brought into a relationship with him. And tonight, if you're not in a relationship like that with him, it does begin by saying to Jesus, I want this. So tonight, if you're not in an intimate relationship with the Lord, where you know his love and forgiveness, that I'm going to ask you tonight, right where you're sitting, to open up to him and pray a prayer and say, I want you, Lord. Now, let me say this, is that you need to understand he wants to forgive you unconditionally, and he wants to cleanse you completely, and then he wants you to be willing to turn and offer the same forgiveness to others. And so tonight, if you've got some people you'll need to do that with, know by coming to him, he's going to say to you, now I want you to go love others in the same way. 
I want you to go offer it. They may not always accept it. By the way, here's the sad thing. Not everybody will accept God's love. But he says, I'm still going to offer it to you. So tonight, if you need God's love, know that by receiving him and his love, he's going to send you to be an agent of love to others. And tonight, if you're a believer who for some reason is not close to God, I also want to invite you to come back to him, to let him redeem the relationship. To, to say yes that you want to be a part of this. And during this prayer time, if you either need to give your life to the Lord or recommit your life to the Lord, I'm going to ask you in this time to do that with me. And then after we do our invitation time, we're going to go into a time of prayer and anointing and communion where if you need to have someone anoint you and pray over you either for healing or, or for, for uh, uh, a, a breaking of a habit or for a release from something that's plaguing you in your life, but most of all, most of all, for a healed relationship, we're going to invite you to come and ask for the Holy Spirit's anointing on you so that you can one day see that relationship healed. But most of all right now, let's talk about you and God. Let's pray. Father, I pray and I ask that your Holy Spirit come into this room. And we want to be a people who love each other no matter what. Who, Lord, when someone has hurt us, we turn and offer forgiveness to them and we ask God that you begin to do what you can to bring peace. And may we be so filled with love and so filled with your spirit that we see amazing things happen and peace come and relationships built that the world would marvel at. But we know it's not impossible with you. And Father, I want to pray right now that you would help anyone here who's hurt. They've sensed pain in their life from someone who has betrayed them. And may it be tonight, God, that they meet you in a way that creates more freedom and more healing than ever. And they're free from what was done to them. And they can move on. And I ask right now that your Holy Spirit move in such a way, Lord, that if there's someone here who needs to give their life to you, or they need, Lord, to come back to you, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would stir up on them and stir in them and draw them to you. So, Lord, I pray in this moment we would sense your presence. We would sense your calling. And if anyone here needs to commit or recommit to you, they know it's their time. So all of you that God's calling, let's just whisper these words to him. Just say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me. And you died for my sins. And I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me and cleanse me. And heal me for many hurts I've experienced in my life. And that you would make me alive and make me new. And that you would make me yours. And I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and with your spirit. And help me be who you have created me to be. And help me to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God for those of you who prayed that prayer.